So uh, a very good afternoon uh, to everyone joining us, uh, either from Arena Singapore or somewhere else uh, in the world. Uh, my name is Aisha Al-Sarihi, and uh, I am a research fellow at the Middle East Institute here at the National University of Singapore. It is my great pleasure to be moderating today's uh, webinar, uh, which is jointly hosted by the UAE Embassy in Singapore and the Middle East Institute. As we know, uh, in less than three weeks from now, the UAE is hosting COP28, and by far the UAE is the fourth Arab country to be hosting uh, the, this major climate event. And the UAE is hosting COP28 uh, at a time where we stand at a critical juncture. We stand at the half point between the Paris Agreement, which was adopted in 2015, and the 2030 deadline for the greenhouse gas emissions to decline by 43% uh, in order for us to avert the catastrophic impacts of the climate change. The expectations for this year COP are very high. The, the expectation uh, for the COP is to be a course correction COP. So in this webinar, I am very pleased to be joined uh, by esteemed panelists, both from the UAE and from Singapore, to discuss various aspects around the COP28. We will discuss different questions, including what to expect from this year COP? Will this uh, COP accelerate our uh, transition from ambition to action? And what are the opportunities that are presented uh, by the COP uh, for other stakeholders uh, rather than the government, such as the business and the private actors? To begin, I'm very, I'm very delighted to welcome Ms. Sara Ghazi Al-Mahri, to give the opening address for today's panel. Ms. Sara Ghazi Al-Mahri, she is joining us from the UAE, and she is the Director of Diplomacy at COP28. She was previously the Head of Economic, Political, and Media Affairs Section at the Embassy of the UAE in Spain. Ms. Sara, thank you very much for uh, joining us, and I give the floor to you. Thank you so much. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'd really like to thank um, our embassy uh, in Singapore, the Singapore National Climate Change Secretariat, and the National University of Singapore's Middle East Institute um, for organizing this very timely seminar on, on COP28. So my friends, we're just uh, three weeks away from convening uh, COP28, which is the world's largest um, annual multilateral climate event um, taking place in Dubai under the presidency of the United Arab Emirates. Um, it will see the participation of over 70,000 delegates and more than 140 heads of state and government, really reflecting, reflecting the global urgency for climate action. Um, COPs have traditionally been a platform where climate negotiators meet, uh, review progress, and decide collectively on the way forward for climate action. Over recent years, COPs have evolved into mega events that attract uh, heads of state and government, business leaders, sectoral experts, climate activists, and the public. The entire process is guided by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or uh, for short, UNFCCC. The COP 
28th presidency uh, helps to steer and facilitate these negotiations to help drive critical elements of the process and support the negotiations. Our presidency has selected also ministerial pairs. And um, on this occasion, I'm pleased to note that Her Excellency uh, Grace Fu, Singapore's Minister for Sustainability and Environment, is, is working with us on the mitigation element. Um, she was also with us in Abu Dhabi at the recently concluded uh, pre-COP, which were pre preparatory meetings ahead of COP28. Um, and COP28 will really be a milestone moment to, to bring the world together under the umbrella of the first global stock take that will shape a response that accelerates action, ambition um, to, to bridge the gaps that we know we face. The global stock take shows that we are off track when it comes to keeping um, within reach the 2015 Paris Agreement goals uh, in, in holding the rise in global temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And to do that, we, we must reduce carbon emissions by 22 gigatons by, by 2030. Um, and in order for us to accomplish this, the, the COP28 presidency has really developed an action plan with four key paradigm shifts fast-tracking a just and order orderly energy transition, fixing climate finance and delivering on old promises, focusing on people, nature, lives and livelihoods, and underpinning everything with full inclusivity. To fast-track the energy transition, we know we must phase down the use of fossil fuels, that this is both inevitable and essential, but it also must be done responsibly. Um, while we're rapidly building the energy systems of tomorrow that are free of unabated fossil fuels, we know that we, we must comprehensively decarbonize our energy system of today, uh, tackling both the energy supply and demand sim simultaneously. So we're really calling for global stakeholders to also triple renewable energy capacity um, to 11,000 uh, gigawatts, dramatically scaling up low carbon hydrogen, but also double uh, energy efficiency by 2030. Um, to decarbonize the energies uh, we use today, we're seeking to retire coal plants early and are calling on oil and gas companies uh, to eliminate methane emissions and routine flaring by 2030, committing to net zero for scope one and two emissions by 2050, amongst other ambitious commitments. These measures are substantial, they're challenging, but they are achievable. And we are convening both the producers and consumers of energy to collaborate and drive these integrated responses to attack emissions everywhere. In the real world, of, uh, of course, nothing happens without finance. So finance is really a critical enabler of climate action and how we turn ambitions into reality. Climate finance, however, is not available enough. It's not accessible enough or affordable enough where it's needed. First, we need to rebuild trust by developing, delivering uh, on historic pledges, uh, such as the 100 billion uh, commitment in climate finance that was made at COP15. We must reform the architecture of the global financial system to ensure that both public and private capital deliver on our climate ambitions. And our presidency is always encouraged, uh, uh, is encouraged by the commitments made by many, but um, contributions are still falling short. In addition to the 100 billion pledge, uh, we must also ensure a second replenishment of the Green Climate Fund. We must then build on the progress made at COP27 and operationalizing the loss and damage fund and its uh, funding arrangements, as well as securing early pledges. 
to deliver a just transition, we will not only need billions, but trillions. And the current global financial system was developed really without consideration um, for how to enable effective climate action uh, throughout the world. Uh, we know that we need to reform the architecture of, of the global financial system to expand concessional funds, uh, lower risk and attract capital at a multiple. But we must never lose sight of the fact that the center of our concerns lie people, nature, lives and livelihoods with a focus on adaptation and resilience. Um, we must adopt a comprehensive and robust framework for the global goal on adaptation with clear targets um, while addressing the disparity between mitigation and adaptation finance. To ensure that we have an, an kind of all of the above approach at COP28, we're really um, elevating previously overlooked sectors uh, like health, trade, relief and recovery on our climate agenda. And finally, inclusion, which is critical, and we are mobilizing for the most inclusive uh, COP. Um, we know that no single party has all the solutions. Um, so success depends on contributions from every country, every community, and every citizen. COP28 must bridge the trust gap also between the North and South and, and build that platform for progress through partnership. We know that we must mobilize for the most inclusive COP ever and, and formalize future participation in climate action. Future generations will also have to live uh, with the decisions that we make at this COP. This is why COP28 has appointed our first youth climate, act, uh, climate champion and has also established the largest ever youth climate delegate program. Climate action is not just the responsibility of national governments. So we will welcome over a thousand mayors to also attend COP28. Um, we view the private sector as a, as a key delivery partner and over 30% of COP28 action agenda has a private sector involvement or element. COP28 will also be hosting uh, a business and, and philanthropy climate forum to cat catalyze private sector led finance and action. This will be a CEO-level uh, global gathering to unite philanthropists and global business leaders to unlock new momentum for global progress. So we need both the process, but also the results to be inclusive, uh, ensuring the voices of all are heard. My friends, um, the hour is late, uh, but we are optimistic that we can succeed. If we show solidarity and, and unity, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish not if governments uh, work alongside the private sector, scientists, civil society, local communities, and indigenous peoples. Not if we leverage the creativity of our entrepreneurs, engage our engineers, empower our youth and our young uh, people. COP28 will be this opportunity to shape our future and advance 2030 trajectories towards meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. Um, and I look forward to welcoming you all and, and seeing you all in, in Dubai uh, this November. And thank you so much for having me uh, today, participating with you. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Sarah Al-Mahri, uh, for your insightful remarks and for providing us for a very comprehensive overview of the uh, major issues to be covered during COP28 and also on uh, uh, also touching on the key climate action that are needed to avoid the catastrophic impacts of the climate change. We look forward to see you in Dubai in less than two weeks. And uh, I really understand that you have a busy schedule. So thank you very much for your time. 
and uh, yeah, uh, and because of that, uh, unfortunately, we cannot take questions for you. But thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So, um, so in the second segment for today's session, uh, we will have uh, you know the panel discussion, and for that, I am joined by two esteemed panelists. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, from the UAE, uh, Professor Ahmed Murad, uh, who is Associate Provost uh, for Research of the United Arab Emirates University. Uh, Professor Ahmed holds uh, a doctorate in hydrology from Western Michigan University, uh, USA. His research interests are hydrology, water resources, and isotope hydrology. He is currently a professor of hydrology at the College of Science at the UAE University. Uh, Professor Murad is a chair of advisory board of Big Data Analytic Center at the UAE University. And he is also a member of board of National Space Science and Technology Center at the UAE University as well. Also joining us from Singapore, uh, Ms. Carissa Tang, uh, she is the, the Assistant Director for Mitigation Policy at the National Climate Change Secretariat uh, of the Prime Minister Office Strategy Group. Ms. Carissa oversees the team that coordinates across the Singapore government to develop and implement the Singapore's response to climate change. During her 1.5 years at the uh, National Climate Change Secretariat. Uh, uh, Carissa has also worked in the technology and global partnerships team. She is concurrently the assistant director uh, of corporate planning and organizational development at the Prime Minister Office Strategy Group. A very warm welcome to both of you. And just before we kick off the panel discussion, uh, I want to give a, a logistical note to everyone joining us. Please, uh, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to uh, write the question in the chat box so we can take them after the remarks from the both speakers. So with that, I would like to uh, kick off the discussion uh, for today. Um, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the expectations are high for this year COP to be a course correction COP. Essentially, COP28, uh, also as mentioned by uh, Ms. Sara Al-Mahri, will be the first COP ever to conclude the first ever global stock take in, in the history of climate negotiations. Uh, for those who are not uh, familiar with the global stock take, it is a mechanism that is used by the UNFCCC to measure the progress for the collective progress of countries and other stakeholders in achieving the goals of the Paris Agreement. It states where we stand today and where we need to be. And uh, based on that, the, the governments and other stakeholders will be required you know, to enhance their uh, climate mitigation and adaptation ambitions but not only that, uh, to, they will be also required to transition from ambition to implementation. And for that, uh, the, the first um, you know, synthesis report uh, on the global stocktake was released last month. And the outcome of it are worrying because it states that we are off track 
on keeping global warming of 1.5 uh, within reach. The report highlights that the temperature will rise by 2.4 to 2.6 degrees by the end of the century. And it uh, recommends that uh, we need to really accelerate our climate action and we don't have you know, the opportunity to delay our action. The report also mentions that we uh, mentions that facing out an abated fossil fuel is critical to correcting course in chart charting the path to keep 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature uh, within reach. With that in mind, I would like to kick off the discussion with Professor uh, Ahmed Murad, uh, and uh, I would like to ask you what uh, role will the UAE host of COP28 play in uh, making sure that uh, the scientific concerns are addressed and ensuring that we do not miss the opportunity of course correction beyond COP28. Thank you, Aisha, for your uh, introduction, and I am pleased to be among the panelists today discussing the uh, upcoming COP28. As you heard from Sarah, this COP28 will be different than other COPs in order uh, in, uh, as it will emphasize in the uh, course correction uh, that related to the target of the climate tem uh, climate action, especially temperature is to be uh, to the degree of 1.5 degrees Celsius. COP28 will present a great opportunity to influence the climate action and contribute even to the course action in the global efforts to compact climate action. The UAE can play important role in ensuring the momentum from COP28 leads to effective and sustained action beyond the conference. How can that happen? Uh, because there are, I think, different way or mechanism that can happen or already exist in the UAE that will support UAE to take a lead in climate action in general. First of all, the UAE can showcase its efforts to transition to the clean energy and serve as a model for other nation. As you know, that's UAE implement using a clean energy and by diversity of the different sources of energy. Uh, also, COP28 will be a great opportunity to promote the innovative the climate technology and solution. For example, at UAE University, we are going to showcase 14 different patents and research projects with the prototypes addressing climate action issues. Other issue that the UAE can emphasize in the importance of the green finance and investments in climate resilient project. COB28 organized different sessions related to the green finance. Even though at UAE University, we are going to have a session to our workshop in green finance in collaboration with Singapore Management University. Also, UAE can promote nature-based solutions, such as reforestation uh, re and ecosystem restoration to sequester carbon and enhance ecosystem resilience. One of the 
example is palmade uh, project sustainable cutlery from date palm waste youth engagement engagement or engagement of the youth will be important pillar of the COP28, uh, they will be engaged heavily in different activities related to the COP28. University Climate Network, UCN, which involved more than 33 universities in the UAE, joined this network and will be heavily engaged in the activities in the COP28. Fall semester ends in the UAE before November 30th, which will allow opportunity for our students to, I think, to visit COVID-28 and engage with the scientists and different uh, organizations that will, I think, present the best practices related to the climate action. Last things, UAE can remain actively engaged in international climate forums and initiatives, ensuring that the climate agenda remains the top priority and the commitments made during the conference are upheld. As you know, UAE has a strategic initiative for net zero emission by 2050. Uh, another important thing that's, I think, at the UAE, that's, I think, diversity in, I think, in renewable uh, energy as, I think, 25 percent from the electricity of UAE will be generated by nuclear energy after execution of the uh, number four uh, plant of the Baraka. This is kind of how, what the opportunities that will be available at COP28 that will address course correction beyond COP28. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Ahmed, for remark uh, for insightful remarks. Uh, uh, now I would like to move to uh, Ms. Carissa, uh, and if you can please, uh, you know, uh, highlight on what are the key profiles that Singapore will look at uh, at this year COP. We know that uh, Singapore has uh, the uh, Singapore Pavilion for the first time last year, and. Uh, to the, and this will be the second time to hear, to host the pavilion. So uh, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, um, Aisha. Uh, and thank you so much to Professor Ahmed as well. Uh, a lot of uh, you have already spoken about the global stock take as well as the UNFCCC synthesis report. Indeed, we are not on track to meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius target, but yet we are very optimistic that there are a lot of things that we can continue to do in order to cost correct and be back on track to meet this. Uh, this is a long-term thing. It's not a short-term thing. So we must take a long-term view and double down on the clean energy transition and give due attention to this existential crisis of our generation. Oh, I'm so sorry. I yeah. So I was saying that uh, Singapore is a huge proponent of the multilateral efforts at the COP28. And the COP28 is a good opportunity for us to get common understanding on we are involved in all tracks, but our, our minister is co-facilitating the ministerial consultations on mitigation together with Norway. And our chief negotiator, Joseph, is the co-chairman with the UK on the joint contact group for the global stock take. So I'm optimistic that the world will come together this COP28 to step up climate ambition and implementation e efforts to make sure that the world has a fighting chance to stay on the 1.5 degrees Celsius trajectory. As a responsible global citizen, 
Singapore will deliver on the commitments to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions in support of these global efforts. We submitted our strengthened uh, LEDs with a clear goal of achieving net zero by 2050. We also committed to peaking our emissions early uh, with reducing our emissions to 60 million tons of carbon dioxide by 2030. Our carbon tax is actually one of the first of its kind in Southeast Asia. It will be progressively raised up to uh, $50 to $80 per ton, Singapore dollars. Uh, it sends a strong price signal to drive industries to decarbonize and give companies greater price certainty to plan ahead. Our carbon tax is only channeled towards decarbonization or, uh, or adaptation projects. Uh, that being said, we've always said that Singapore's ability to decarbonize is contingent on international cooperation. This is because of our national circumstances as a low-lying, highly urbanized, alternative energy disadvantaged country. We cannot be fussy about the decarbonization pathways we are taking, so we are pursuing all viable options such as carbon capture, utilization and storage, low carbon energy solutions, mm. carbon credits and a lot more. Uh, the international acceptability at COP28 uh, and buy-in for these solutions uh, are very important to allow us to continue mm. to pilot and adopt these solutions. So I'm, I'm really glad that Singapore and UAE have a lot of interests in common. Both countries are interested in decarbonization solutions, especially CCS, and uh, we are interested in collaborations in financing. This puts us as good like-minded like partners for COP this year. On the GST, there's a strong expectation that parties will agree on the steps needed to close the gaps to meet the long-term goals of the Paris Agreement and foster just alternative and viable transition pathways towards net zero and climate resilient development. COP28 will also need to implement the decisions that aim to strengthen support to developing countries. In particular, we need to develop, deliver on the mandated work streams on loss and damage and adaptation at COP28. A key guiding principle would be for the work of the transitional committee is to that those most responsible for climate change must take the lead in minimizing, averting and addressing loss and damage. Um, particularly in countries that are vulnerable to the adverse impacts of climate change. Um, lastly, we must make progress towards the long-standing climate finance commitments. Meeting the 100, 100 billion US dollar goal by 2023 as outlined in the Climate Finance Delivery Plan published at COP26 is a, must, a key deliverable for COP28. This would really help engender trust and is a critical building block in the discussions on the new collective quantified goal on climate finance. So as mentioned by Aisha earlier, yes, indeed, we have a pavilion and that's because we believe that climate action is not solely the role of governments. There are many players in the ecosystems that need to be involved in this effort. So that's why at COP28, we don't just have negotiation tracks, but the presidency and many countries are also organizing many events and many pavilions to enable a space for people from different governments, businesses, non-government organizations, international organizations, even our youth to exchange ideas sign agreements, and actually move the envelope beyond the just the negotiation tracks. Um, many COP presidency events like the FCLP, the Cold Face Down Efforts, the World Climate Action Summit, uh, will be places where many governments can come together to make actual substantive commitments and move implementation forward. In addition, I understand youth is a very huge part of COP28 this year. And similarly, Singapore is actually sending a a few youth for the first time to as part of the Singapore delegation and they'll be running some of the programs at our pavilion as well so that's how we are trying to engage our youth in this effort yeah okay so I guess I'll stop here for now <laughs> thank you so much well thank you very much Carissa 
Now I want to throw the question to both of you. Uh, again, it is on the uh, the global stock take. So I would like to ask, like, what are what initiatives uh, implemented or plan to be implemented by the UAE and Singapore in response to the urgency presented by the global stock take? If I can start with you, Professor. Yes, uh, thank you very much uh, for this uh, uh, question. Uh, UAE has implemented several initiatives in response to the urgency presented by the global stock take. Uh, first of all, sustainable transportation. If we look to the sustainable transportation, the UAE is investing in sustainable transportation solution, including the development of electrical vehicle infrastructure, public transportation networks, and initiatives to reduce emissions from the transportation system. Two, for energy, uh, energy efficiency measures, the UAE is implemented energy efficient technologies and practices across various sectors with a focus on reducing energy consumption and emissions. For research and innovation, the UAE is invested in research and innovation to develop and adapt advanced technologies and practice for mitigating and adapting to climate change. Carbon Caption and Storage, CCS. The UAE is exploring the potentiality of CCCS, which is Carbon Capture and Storage Technologies, to capture and store carbon emission, especially from the industrial process and power generation. Also, the UAE has intensified efforts to expand its renewable energy capacity, particularly through the development of solar and wind energy project. Finally, climate adaptation strategies, international climate agreements, and public awareness and education. As you see, UAE has clear climate adaptation strategy, uh, followed the Paris agreements, and even, I think, international climate agreement in general, and intensify the efforts to increase the awareness of the importance of the responsibility, I think, to taking lead to uh, educate people to reduce the climate uh, change impacts. Thank you. Thank you very much, Professor Murad. Uh, so in Singapore, in terms of how we are actually looking at our decarbonization plans, there are two big things that uh, we hang a lot of our policies on. So first is our carbon tax. And the carbon tax actually is meant to incentivize a lot of the companies to really think about their emissions and um, think about whether or not there are better ways of doing their, their uh, businesses and reduce emissions at the same time. So that is a very good incentive. And the money that we get from there actually goes into the government's pot to fund decarbonization projects in order to spur more of this kind of projects in Singapore. So that's one mechanism. The other mechanism that we have is the Singapore Green Plan. And the Singapore Green Plan is basically a whole of government uh, as well as a whole of Singapore approach to looking at decarbonization as well as environment and sustainability. So if I were just to zoom into two areas, we have our power sector, which we are trying to decarbonize. That is one of the bigger emitters of our, uh, of our emissions in Singapore, as well as the industry side. 
So on the power side, what we're trying to do is actually Singapore is uh, our grid is already very clean. Uh, we use mostly LNG uh, and we have like very little coal. It's only about 1%. But at the same time, we continue to see that we should be phasing down coal completely. And we are trying to reduce our uh, grid efficiency, fac uh, efficiency factor so they will make it even cleaner. So one way we've done is by accelerating the use of solar in Singapore. And that has, uh, it has been the key thing that we have been pushing over the past few years. Uh, we've covered most of our HDBs and our tall buildings with uh, and our households with solar panels. But that alone is unable to allow us to decarbonize our entire country because it's uh, most likely only going to be up to 10%. And so that is why we are pursuing other ways of bringing in renewable energy into Singapore. So we have uh, a lot of engagements as well as cooperations with countries in our region to look up bringing in uh, green electrons as well as renewable energy uh, to ensure that we have low carbon electricity for our country. Uh, secondly, of course, we are looking at the new kind of power sources uh, such as hydrogen and ammonia. And these are future solutions that we see to power our country and to ensure that our entire grid is clean in order to move towards net zero. On the industry side, yes, it is a hard to abate sector, which is why we are similarly pursuing a lot of carbon capture utilization and storage efforts. We have a lot of research into carbon capture and utilization, looking at other solutions such as mineralization. And we also are pursuing uh, carbon capture and storage. In Singapore, we do not have the space to store these uh, this carbon dioxide, which is why international cooperation uh, to see partner countries that we can work with in order to capture and permanently this carbon dioxide is important to us. And I think lastly, uh, we, we have a lot of measures in transportations and buildings. Um, we, have, we have a commitment to phase out a lot of our our petroleum and our diesel cars and uh, vehicles and move towards uh, electric vehicles. We also pursue aggressively building energy efficiency targets. Um, and lastly, of course, on carbon credits, I think that this is something that we are looking both from a perspective of global decarbonization, helping countries in many countries to find solutions uh, to reduce emissions, but at the same time also to be with the financing to support these projects uh, and also help our companies in the hard bit sectors to uh, decarbonize. Yeah. Thank you very much, Carissa. Uh, now, um, also another challenge uh, or another way to actually like uh, uh, ensure that we meet the goals of the Paris Agreement, we shouldn't only depend on the role of the government, but we, as uh, Sarah also mentioned, we need an inclusive uh, climate action where we engage everyone on board, like the youth, uh, the NGOs, as well as the private sector. So my question to uh, Professor Ahmed, uh, how can the COP28 provide a platform for the private sector to, uh, you know, uh, incentivize uh, the uh, the the inclusion of the private the, and participation of the uh, private sector in climate action. Thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, inclusion private sector uh, and other even partner in climate uh, action negotiation and dialogue during COP twenty eight is one of the theme of the COP twenty eight. As you know, that's uh, the government of the UAE identify 10 pillars for the next 
50 one of which is the international collaboration and if we look in details into international collaboration we'll find that private sector is one of the important uh, prospect related to the international collaboration so uh, cob 28 will be an excellent platform i think to engage i think different uh, community different stakeholder different partner private ngos and all of that to contribute to the uh, climate solution example of that it will be business forums and summit stock stakeholder workshop engagement will be youth engagements and empowerment as mentioned that uh, for example the delegation of singapore will include the youth in order i think to empower them and to contribute to the uh, by their uh, or by organizing different session and workshop in singapore uh, pavilion uh, climate action hub cob 28 also and sme climate act, uh, climate hub for mina region cob 28 and SM, uh, and also climate hub for mina is a collaboration between cob 28 UAE Presidency and SME Climate uh, Hub to drive climate action in private sector across the Middle East and North Africa. Also, COVID-28 uh, COVID Presidency is partnering with Mustard, first Abu Dhabi Bank and Abu Dhabi Chamber to create a legacy platform that will become a focal point of sustainability activities of SMEs in the MENA region. As one of the COP28 uh, UAE Presidency flagship private sector initiative, COP28 and SME Climate Hub for MENA is available to business in the region, completely free of charge. It is also one of the first global sustainability pla platform of its kind available in the Arabic language as well as English and Spanish. Through this climate hub, MENA SMEs will have access to free and comprehensive resources and tools that will enable them to make a climate commitment, take action and measure their progress toward emission reduction in line with scientific benchmarks. This access to information, measurement, and reporting tools will help businesses to bridge their knowledge and resources uh, and resource gaps and make concrete progress in climate action, paving the way to a net zero future. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Ahmed. Carissa, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, that Singapore has adopted the Green Plan. I wonder. Uh, to what extent, or if you can uh, explain, how does Singapore engage the private sector in, you know, implementing or achieving its climate targets? I think that the key way in which the Singapore government actually engages the businesses is by very having a very clear direction in which uh, we are moving towards. And what the Singapore Green Plan really does is to set out the targets. Um, the direction for the businesses, the policies that are in place that businesses can then respond because it's a it presents a very stable and clear governance structure and that really encourages business practices in Singapore. 
So that's one way uh, as a governance structure. The second thing is, of course, um, in blended and green financing, the public sector alone will not be able to meet the scale of investments required. So to encourage the channeling of private capital to support Asia's, like not just Singapore, but Asia's low carbon transition, uh, we have a Singapore Green Finance Action Plan that supports the main, mainstreaming of green and sustainable financing. Uh, this There's also the establishment of green finance centers and the development of capabilities to originate innovative sustainable financing and climate resilient investment strategies. In fact, Singapore is actually a leading hub for green finance, accounting for about half of ASEAN's green bond issuance and loan originations in 2020. Uh, so we facilitate a lot of like this kind of cross-border financial flows at scale to green and transition sectors. Uh, and we also actively involve in efforts to develop like uh, compatible taxonomies in Asia and globally. So if that's mostly from our finance sector, for our, a lot of our um, businesses, they have made a lot of commitments because they are, we, have, we house a lot of uh, MNCs. And so based, like part of the MNCs is that they have a lot of commitments to net zero as well for their companies. Uh, so naturally, I think when it comes to Singapore uh, and being in Singapore allows them to be clear about what pathways are there for them forward towards net zero, both in Singapore as well as in their home country. So these are just some ways that we engage our businesses. Um, to also share that at the pavilion, we're bringing a lot of business partners to COP28. Uh, they have been really excited to partner us and they'll be bringing many of the different solutions there as well as the, um, it's a great opportunity for them to network with each other, with the Singapore government, as well as with other people from other pavilions and other business partners. Well, thank you very much. So another also uh, angle when it comes to accelerating climate action is collaboration uh, and collaborative efforts uh, between countries. Uh, uh, either it is like a bilateral or multilateral collaboration. And last month, the Singapore Prime Minister Lee visited the UAE, and along with the UAE President Sheikh Mohammed, uh, they both witnessed a signatory of a flurry of memorandum of understanding and understanding and agreements in areas of green economy, low carbon energy solutions, and other climate related areas. And of course, the UAE is the only Gulf country that signed a comprehensive economic partnership uh, with Singapore. Um, and so my question uh, is for both of you, uh, what are the business opportunities and key, key areas of synergy that the UAE and Singapore can tap on uh, to enhance their collaboration uh, on climate beyond the negotiations of the COP28? Yes, uh, let me answer this question from my perspective. What I see, I think, both UAE and Singapore has a strength in terms of the capability, uh, capacity in terms to contribute, I think, to the climate action through what research and innovation I think both countries are investing heavily in the uh, research uh, projects that will lead to the uh, technology that will help, I think, to overcome challenges related to the climate action. Second is the youth, the empowerment of youth. We see that both countries, UAE and Singapore, are empowering youth to play a major role, I think, in different 
sector, especially in the uh, climate uh, change. Uh, also, international collaboration. I think UAE and Singapore has excellent platform for the international uh, collaboration. As I mentioned uh, previously, UAE identified that's one of the pill 10 pillars for the next 50s of the nation is international collaboration. That's mean we have a base for building and increasing the, well, the network because of the trust that we received from international community, the, even the commitment of the UAE and the UAE how contribute to the advancement of the climate action. UAE has an excellent, I think, practices across all sectors in, I think, in uh, providing innovative solution to the climate uh, actions uh, issues. Those, I think, the ecosystem, the existing ecosystem in both countries, I think, will help to work together, I think, to reach their initiative. We have a target, net zero by 2050. I am sure, I think, with the collaborative efforts, with the strength that we have with, with the youth, will be able to achieve uh, net zero uh, by 2050. Thanks. Yes, uh, so I, I completely agree, Professor. Um, achieving our climate targets naturally must move beyond COP28, the negotiating rooms. A lot of the work is done outside of the negotiating rooms uh, on decarbonization solutions, be low carbon solutions uh, or carbon credits. Um, I think that he's right. There are a lot of similarities between Singapore and the UAE. We are hubs for innovation, green investment, green economy developments, and we are definitely like... Uh, a gateway to a lot of uh, the different regions, uh, Middle East as well as for Southeast Asia. So I, I think this is like a, a good way of collaborating because naturally the business opportunities, there are a lot of synergies between both countries, uh, especially to grow like green economy business opportunities. Uh, we also have, sorry, uh, in terms of like other things uh, specifically, I think that there's a lot of potential for both countries to think about carbon credits, uh, sorry, carbon credits as well as CCS, uh, carbon capture and storage. Uh, both of our countries have a E and C sector and these are not easy to abate, but through carbon capture and storage um, solutions, uh, we definitely can help with these hard to abate sectors. Uh, it's not just about government signing an MOU. It's very important to have high-level uh, government support to signal cooperation between both countries. But as he said, there's also collaborations uh, by our businesses, by our youth, by the non-government sector. I think it's important for our non-government sectors to also uh, collaborate. So there are many areas in which both sides can collaborate on, be it coming up with methodologies uh, for the verification of carbon credit projects uh, to ensure high quality verifiable projects or methodologies to do accounting for carbon capture and storage. These are growing areas um, that are not clear what the rules are currently and definitely space for our academics to uh, collaborate on. And similarly for the technologies, there's so much green hydrogen potential out there, blue hydrogen potential out there. And, so much things that our academics, uh, our academic institutions can collaborate on. And yes, I, I understand that actually at COP, our youth are collaborating on, uh, are having exchanges already on their phones and WhatsApp uh, to have some kind of joint activities together. So definitely lots of 
potential during and beyond COP in these areas. Thank you very much, Carissa. That's uh, really like insightful. Uh, I can see that hydrogen, carbon capture, uh, and storage, uh, carbon credits, uh, green investments, and innovations are areas of collaboration, and that uh, can be done through youth uh, to youth collaboration, business to business, uh, as well as government to government. Um, before I open the floor for the questions, and I encourage everyone to write uh, questions in the chat box to the Middle East uh, Institute event. Uh, before I uh, take the questions, I have one last question for Professor Murad. Uh, it is on the legacy of the COP28. Uh, As we know, uh, COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh last year, the legacy of it or the success of it is the establishment of the loss and damage uh, fund, um, which will continue this year uh, uh, for the operationalization of the fund. Uh, but apart from the loss and damage, what kind? Uh, what will be the legacy of the COP28 uh, of the UAE? The legacy of the UAE, you know that's uh, always UAE, when uh, organizing any event, they need to be number one and to be unique in organizing any activities. That will make uh, a little bit difficult for those who will come Uh, later on, as we uh, organize, I think, Expo 2020, COVID-28 will be different in terms of, the, I think, different achievement that uh, achieved by the COVID-28 presidency even before, I think, COVID-28. Uh, good things, uh, the legacy uh, of the COVID-28 will be, I think, the legacy of the Zayed. Is a pavilion that will be uh, uh, and by will be organized by the Ministry of Edu Education and will be uh, will uh, will I think display and present all the educational activities and research activity of academic institution. How academic institution engage in that uh, in the. And in finding innovative solution to the problem related to the climate action. Also, important things is as I mentioned that the legacy of the school, the uh, the legacy of this COVID 28 will be involvement of the uh, young generation, the future leaders, especially the school uh, uh, school student. As we know, that's I think the final exam uh, will be finished before COVID-28, and that will give opportunity to the young and kids to be involved in COVID-28. The legacy, also the important things, is that this COVID-28 will be a course of correction, course of correction and implementation. And this is, again, is... Uh, There are efforts, I think, from the presidency of COVID-28, which is headed by His Excellency Sultan Al-Jabbar and his team, I think, to increase the awareness of the, uh, uh, of the different uh, sectors and different partners of the community. Uh, uh, yesterday, I think, UAE organized a summit for the Uh, 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 summit in faith. Uh, leaders of the uh, were come together 
and they uh, discussed the issue how the religion or the faith can contribute, I think, to advancement of the uh, of the uh, targets related to the uh, climate action. So we are, as a scientific committee, even, I think, um, we are ambitious. We are, I think, eager, I think, to receive the outcomes of COP28 to be reflected in our academic uh, program, will be reflected and cascaded in our strategic research themes in order to contribute to the, I think, to achieve the net zero strategic uh, initiative by uh, 2050. So in general, there are, I think, this COVID-28 will be a platform, open opportunity, I think, for different uh, stakeholders in order to contribute without limiting anyone. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Murad. We also hope uh, and we we are confident that uh, the UAE is making uh, the efforts to uh, make the outcomes of the COP this year uh, positive outcomes for everyone. Uh, with that, I open now the floor for the questions and uh, I uh, encourage everyone to, you know, ask the, the, the questions that you have. Uh, so far, I have a question from Paolo uh, Ribello, who is a PhD candidate in political science at the University of Salamanca in Spain. Uh, he uh, his question uh, is uh, I believe is to Professor Ahmed uh, uh, on Brazil uh, relation with the UAE. He says that the 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 U the UAE has uh, publicly recognized Brazil as uh, a country at the forefront of sustainable development. How can the UAE and Brazil work together in innovation? Uh, sustainable development uh, and cooperate with one another. Yes, uh, thank you very much for this question. Uh, I think there is a great opportunity, I think, to collaborate between, uh, I think, institutions in UAE and in Brazil, I think, to uh, tackle issues related to the climate change. I believe that both, I think, countries have their own strength in order, I think, to contribute to each other to achieve targets related to the climate action. Uh, one of the things I think maybe I think we need to uh, have the best the technology uh, transfer is this is one of the issue I think that we need, I think, to excel in it and accelerate in order to achieve the target uh, uh, of the related to the climate action. And the wills and even the leadership of both uh, uh, countries, I think, in uh, I think in 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 support of the sustainability. I think uh, Brazil also has one one of the best practices in uh, sustainability, and we I think as both countries we need to take advantage of using the best practices of those country and adapt it to meet the uh, our climate adapted to meet our expectation the competition is very high we need to be a unique i think and we need to use the best model that will help us i think to achieve the targets and the kpis related to the climate action there is opportunities and we need to invest in the uh, opportunity 
by I think uh, using the best practices in sustainability that available in even Brazil and even in UAE also we have a best practices. Thank you very much, Professor Ahmed. Uh, I have another question from uh, Terence uh, for both of you. Um, uh, Terence is from the World Bank Climate Warehouse team. Uh, he says that we mostly uh, support countries in building up their domestic and international carbon trading infrastructure. And with that, he has two questions. The first question is uh, on the, you know, the bilateral and multilateral uh, interactions. So uh, he says that the UAE and Singapore are large proponents of Article 6. So based on your expertise uh, in the bilateral and multilateral interactions, what do you think are the largest bin points from the host countries regarding uh, Article 6.2 and 6.4 collaboration. Can also like, can I ask one of you also to elaborate on Article 6.2 and 6.4? Because I don't think like everyone is familiar with those articles. Maybe Carissa, you can go first. Unfortunately, I don't think I really can. <laughs> I'm in charge of a lot of the mitigation plans within Singapore itself. I don't know the details of what 6.2 and 6.4 are specifically, but the whole point of Article 6 is basically to create a system to allow uh, international transference of mitigation outcomes. Uh, so it's basically uh, if I have mitigation potential in one country and a funding in another country for the country to fund this mitigation potential from another country and be able to say that, okay, I am able to say this mitigation outcomes is applied to the carbon accounting in my country. So the host country would then be the country that uh, is the seller country to sell the mitigation outcomes. And then uh, on the other hand, the buyer countries would be then the ones to put in the financial resources and then buy the mitigation outcomes. And what this does is actually to increase the ability of the whole entire world uh, to have mitigation projects going on, pairing uh, people with the projects and people with the resources to fund those projects. And that is the essence of uh, 6.2 and 6.4. Uh, the conversations that are now around this are a lot about what kind of projects are good projects that will really contribute to the mitigation of the whole world. Uh, we don't want projects that are not permanent in removing the carbon dioxide emissions, for example. We don't want projects that with leakages, which are so no permanence, no leakages. We want them to be high quality projects. Uh, so that is what the, the things are. Uh, based on my understanding from what the pain points are, a lot of times it's about identifying good projects because one of the uh, criteria, which I think is said, um, is that it must have net gain. So no net harm. And when we understand no net harm, it cannot be just from the perspective of carbon dioxide. It also needs to be from the perspective of does it help the community? Does it help with the ecosystem and biodiversity? And to find projects that really um, are good for everyone that does not cause net harm, uh, it's very difficult to scope that kind of projects. So currently we have methodologies, let's say by Vera or um, other, other kind of companies to 
to say that these are good projects to how do you determine what a good project is and how to account for it. But to actually find this kind of projects, it's not going to be an easy matter. It requires both the host country, uh, project developers, financing people to all understand the project uh, and to spend the time and energy to develop uh, a good project for everyone. Uh, the second one is, of course, because this is a very new concept, there's a lot of uh, international agreements that need to go on. Uh, Singapore has signed many, many MOUs with many countries interested in pursuing this kind of projects. But of course, naturally, when we come to the implementation agreements, which we will be hoping to sign at COP28 with some countries, uh, it goes into the details um, with like, for example, your environmental integrity criteria to ensure that the projects are additional so it doesn't eat into the NDCs of the countries which you are getting the projects from, the mitigation outcomes from. And all these kind of negotiations take time. Uh, and I guess that is another, like, I wouldn't call it a pain point, but it's just a process that needs to happen uh, if we are serious about this kind of international collaborations. Okay, so I if roughly, <laughs> if that helps with the, the answering the question. I think it does. Thank you very much. Uh, Professor Ahmed, would you like to comment on this question on Article? Maybe I, I, I will add one point related to the uh, finance, especially the uh, especially Article uh, num, uh, six uh, 6.2 that's refer even uh, to the I think funding for the activities related to the infrastructure uh, to the infrastructure, uh, and that's I think will be even I think encouraging the green uh, finance and provide the proper funding i think to tackle issue uh, or related to the climate action especially i think to meet the target 1.5 uh, degree Celsius. and that's i think if we would like to achieve net zero by 20 feet we need even to double the uh, funding available and that's i think encouraged i think by the uh, pri private sector and this is what happened, I think, in the uh, UAE during last, I think they uh, work hardly uh, to uh, have a new mechanism uh, that developed in the UAE to finance climate uh, action. Example of that, uh, green investment funds and even public-private uh, partnership, innovation and research grants all of those i think will encourage i think will support uh, somehow the funding for the activities related to the infrastructure uh, there's another question from uh, terence as well uh, he's asking about the role of the multilateral development banks from your personal assessment do you think that the multilateral uh, development banks like the world bank are on track and uh, how do you think uh, they can do more to support climate finance? Uh, I think uh, private sector, I think, should in, engage heavily, especially especially the financial sector, I think, should play a major uh, role. And that's, I think, come under the social responsibility of, the, uh, of the, those financial uh, sector. Financial sector should, I think, play a major role, I think, in, I think, elevate and increase the finance related to the, I think, to the activities related to the uh, climate action. Partnership and international 
and especially engagement of governmental, semi-governmental and private sector together, that's, I think, will support and will provide like a new model, I think, to support activities related to the financing uh, the climate action activities. Thank you very much. Uh, another also major question that came in is on the face down, face out uh, fossil fuels. Uh, as we know, uh, the face uh, down of the fossil fuel was introduced for the first time in the COP26. And uh, uh, a face out of all fossil fuels, uh, a language that has been pushed for in last year COP and Sharm el Sheikh, uh, although it didn't make it to the final uh, text. So um, for this year, um, uh, how uh, how will the COP twenty eight, you know, uh, address the concerns around the importance of phasing out uh, fossil fuel, and will the UAE COP adopt you know different language than previous COPs? the COP26 and COP27. Yes, as you know, COP28 will be course for correction and implementation. All of us know for that. And that will be based in the continuation of the agreed language, uh, uh, which built in COP uh, meetings, uh, especially in previous COP, uh, COPs, and especially language related to the phase out of the uh, fossil fuel, and emission reduction, uh, and that will be the main, I think, the language that even established in the Paris Agreement, okay? So this agreement, we know that calls for a global effort to limit global warming well below two uh, degrees Celsius above pre-industrial uh, levels and pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Is it recognized the need to reduce greenhouse gas emission to net zero by mid-century? So COP28 is expected to emphasize the importance of the latest climate uh, science and the agreement, uh, uh, science and the outcomes, especially the report of the IP. CC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel in Climate uh, Change. Also, the UAE COP is likely to provide apply a platform for a broad range of stakeholders, as we mentioned, and that will engage, I think, different partner stakeholders in one table to discuss issue. And that's, I think, will support, I think, uh, the call for phase out of the fossil fuel, and that's happening gradually. As you see, practice of the UAE, UAE, I think, invest heavily in renewable energy. And that's, I think, have a clear strategy that announced to the world about the uh, net zero uh, strategic initiative by 2050. Uh, the, also, the engagement. The engagement is very important. When we engage with the people, uh, and this engagement is will be is significant, especially in COP28, uh, by involving, I think, different, as I mentioned, civil society, well, private sector, indigenous communities, I think. And that will be part of the discussions. 
and especially around the fossil fuels and the climate action. For example, in, in December 15, the thematic day will be related to the energy transition. And that, that shows the commitment of COP28, the ability of COP28 and the presidency by collective efforts from the leaders and scientists from different of the world to achieve the limit of the uh, of the temperature, which is 1.5 degrees Celsius. Thank you very much, Professor Ahmed. Um, Carissa, would you like to comment or? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so in terms of the, the question was on about what we are going to do about coal and whether the language would remain. Um, yeah, I think that for it's very difficult to disagree that we need to do something about coal. Um, and it's, of course, Singapore, we only have 1% of uh, our power mix is coal. So it's easy for us to say that we should be phasing down unabated fossil fuels. We took very early steps to phase out coal in our energy mix since the early 2000s. Uh, we shifted from fuel oil to cleaner natural gas, which is currently the majority of our power generation today. Um, I guess like when we talk about how the international community deals with this, this issue, how they might agree that something needs to be done about unabated fossil fuels. Uh, it is difficult for a lot of people to say definitively that I can do it within a very short time frame. We need to understand that it's part of a lot of countries' energy security. Um, it is possibly the only way that a lot of people uh, and citizens are getting their energy because they haven't have any other alternatives. So when we think about the issue, we really need to consider if the phase down of unabated fossil fuels is coupled with uh, either other ways of removing the carbon dioxide, either CCS or otherwise, and also renewable energy plans where these low carbon fuels are actually put back into the grid in order to get to the, the people and the recipients of this power. And all these things are very complex. I'm not going to trivialize how complex these issues are. And I think that is why uh, at the international negotiations, there are many countries that might be tentative about putting in too strong language and they want a more encompassing language in order to uh, give them time and opportunities to really move towards an uh, outcome that is comfortable for them, but at the same time reaching their climate ambitions and helping the world decarbonize. Thank you very much, Carissa. Uh... So unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I will take one last question uh, from the audience. Uh, and the last question is from Mohammed Mamoun, but I rephrase it a bit. Uh, um, the question is on the loss and damage as the uh, loss and damage committee transition from uh, you know COP27 to COP28. Uh, are you uh, optimistic about the operationalization of the COP, uh, of the loss and damage Fund. Uh, we know that Abu Dhabi last week has hosted uh, the last meeting for the loss and damage ahead of COP28. And uh, we have seen there's some contentious issues uh, uh, around uh, the World Bank hosting the loss and damage fund. But are you hopeful that uh, an agreement will be achieved uh, during COP28? Basically, uh, I am optimistic, as I mentioned to you optimistic that's uh, because there are great efforts i think from the uh, presidency of cob 28 to have a unique uh, edition of cob uh, 28 and i am sure i think uh, uh, this will lead i think 
to have uh, the suitable uh, finance related to the lost uh, uh, lost uh, fund. And there are, I think, uh, especially when we engage the private uh, sector to play a major role in transitioning, I think, to low carbon economy. Uh, Public-private partnerships is PPPS. Uh, this is important things. Also, the uh, renewable energy procurement, regularity framework, capacity building, training, research, and development. Those, all of that, I think, will help us and a clear indication about the will of the presidency of COVID-28 to achieve the target and have a unique edition of COVID-28. This is COVID-28, course of correction, implementation, and uh, uh, UAE is committed even beyond COVID-28. The efforts of UAE will continue after COVID-28 as the government, I think, already prepared and negotiators that I think will take this strategy, I think, to uh, achieve net zero by 2050. Thank you very much. Uh, Carissa, do you want to comment on this, the loss and damage fund? Yeah, I, I unfortunately really have not really been following this, but I do am very optimistic that there will be some developments. After all, the, the discussions at the last COP on loss and damage was already quite a huge step forward. Uh, so naturally, we need to move forward with this discussion in order to ensure that we can get on mitigation outcomes because without some sort of... Um, financial sort of uh, incentives and without some uh, encouragement, it is very difficult to expect everyone, especially countries in uh, least developing countries to want to uh, contribute in a very effective way for uh, towards our mitigation outcome. So I am very optimistic and I hope that there'll be a great outcome from COP20 on this as well. I'm so glad that we are uh, concluding our today's uh, session with optimistic notes. And before we uh, close the session, uh, I would like to really thank the UAE Embassy in Singapore in you know cooperating with us uh, in co-hosting this event. And I have Mr. Mohammed Zainal Abdul Karim Al Zarouni, who is the head of economic, political, and media affairs from the United Arab Emirates uh, Embassy in Singapore, to give the closing remarks. So, uh, um, Mohammed, the floor is yours. Uh, you know, I just wanted to say uh, or thank Dr. Murad, Aisha, and Carissa for your active participation in this event. I was actually very happy to hear from Carissa, uh, you know, that there's uh, there will be youth participants from Singapore. They're sending a delegation to That's actually fantastic news to us. Uh, you know, the COP28 team that we have back home, uh, the ones that are working with this uh, excellency, uh, Sultan Jabbar, most of them are from the youth. Uh, because you know we, the UAE values that, we, and we know that you know the more the people who will be affected is actually the youth, right? The next generation who will be affected by climate change. So that's one. But uh, you know, as what was mentioned, COP twenty eight is not just uh, you know an international event. It would be a pivotal moment in our global quest for sustainability and environmental responsibility. The challenges posed uh, by climate change are pressing and uh, to affect every corner of our planet. COP28 provides a unique opportunity for nations to come together to accelerate our collective efforts, combat climate change, and create a more sustainable world for future generations. 
The impact of COP28 extends uh, far beyond the immediate outcomes of the conference. It is about setting the course for a greener, more sustainable future for all of humanity. The agreements and commitments made at COP28, I'm sure that they will shape the global response to climate change for years to come. It's an opportunity for us to transform words into action, pledges into policies, and aspirations into tangible results. So, you know, let us leave this event with a renewed determination to work together. Uh, the future is ours to shape, and together the UAE and Singapore uh, can make a profound uh, impact on the world. I can see that we're very much optimistic from uh, what I've been hearing, and th that's the way to go. That's the correct mindset uh, to be in, actually. Uh, so before I end, uh, I would like to thank the Middle East Institute for organizing such a meaningful event, and I look forward to the continued collaboration in the years uh, to come. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Mohammed. And I echo your uh, optimistic uh, words. Yes, we should approach the COP with optimistic mindset so we can end up with uh, positive outcomes uh, collectively. Uh, with that, thank you very much to uh, esteemed panelists, Professor Ahmed Murad and Carissa uh, for joining us today. Thank you very much for your time. And I would like also to thank uh, our uh, uh, events manager, Sharon Khan. Um, thank you very much uh, for being with us. And with thank that, you, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, with that, yeah, we close the session and have a good evening, everyone.